We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. difficult weekend of results leaves Manchester City just three points behind Arsenal. But let's not forget, Arsenal have two apologies in hand. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Two apologies in hand. We now have two PGMOL apologies, and I'm checking. I'm not like Mr. Google, so maybe you're better than me. I haven't seen yet how we can apply those. Do we do we just uh, turn them in for points? Are they like a punch card? You ever gone to a sandwich shop and they give you a punch card? And if you fill up the punch card, you get a free sandwich. Like, do we get do we get a three points with a certain amount of apologies, or can, can we use them against City to get a dodgy penalty? I would take that on Wednesday. You know, if there's any justice in the world, they will be looking to give us every call on Wednesday, and I would certainly take that. Uh, it doesn't overturn what happened at the weekend, but we're going to have to talk about that. So let me just say this. There are some people who are seething over this and want a 90-minute podcast just on VAR and the PGMOL. There are some people who think talking about refereeing is an excuse, is a chance not to dig into the performance, not to be critical of the performance. So here's the plan. We got to put the VAR stuff at the top of the show is my feeling because it is the biggest talking point coming out of the game and it is an unusual situation in a weekend of unusual situations, um, really a nadir for the refereeing this season. So we're going to do that. We are, of course, going to discuss the ways in which Arsenal did not do enough to win the game, really. The ways in which Brentford were good. The ways in which Arsenal had things we need to clean up in our game. So we're not going to overlook that. We're not going to elide the fact that Brentford were probably value for a point. That doesn't mean they deserved it. Arsenal got in front and Brentford got a goal they didn't deserve. But we're going to do that as well. And we're, and we're going to pull apart the performance and see if maybe... There's an issue where teams have a defensive approach that we are sort of struggling to cope with. We'll talk about what that approach may be. So that's all going to be on tap today. Um, just me and Clive, so we'll have a chance to get to it. Clive was at the game, was in the press conference after the game, so we should get some interesting insight there. But, you know, it's Clive, so we'll have to see what we get. It's a grab bag. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Clive's on Twitter. Clive, you have to say hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, you got me right. You're starting to, you're working me out. You? you don't know what I'm going to say next. <laughs> I guess you'd say a box of Rebels. I don't know what Rebels are. But, yeah, box of chocolates is good, or, or, yeah. or a bag of Revels. That's good. Bag of You're Rebels. doing good. Okay. A bag yeah, of chocolates. Good. How about that? 
No, you're like a bag lie. of chocolates. I don't know. Well. Can't really have a. Anyway, uh, you get the idea. So, all right, Clive, let's dig into the the VAR issue and PGMOL, and and just to step back, Arsenal take the lead in a game where Brentford, you know, probably could have taken lead on more than one occasion themselves, but yeah. they didn't because scoring goals is hard. You're not awarded goals for having good chances. We know that, right? That's why XG isn't the score. The score is the score. Yeah. Um, and then Ivan Tony gets awarded a foul for what I believe is not a foul, by the way, or it's a 50-50. And then there's a set piece that Arsenal, let's just say it, defend terribly. But part of defending well is holding a defensive line. Push and Arsenal do up. hold the defensive yep. line. And it's offside once. And it's offside twice. And Ramsdale, who we may come on to, doesn't necessarily cover himself in glory. He flaps, and it's a goal. And when push comes to shove, that's all that uh, was able to be done in the game. It ends 1-1. We come to find out afterwards that Lee Mason, a referee who has on multiple uh, situations been determined not to be good enough to be a referee, who, you'll be shocked to know, is the... uh, origin, the source of our first PGMOL apology this season, right? Um, the, the disallowed Martinelli goal at Old Trafford. Yep. He just forgets to draw the lines. You know, he just forgets. I just forgot to pick up my kids at school. You know, I just forgot to do it. No big deal, right? I just, I just forgot to wear pants today. You know, it, it is what it, I just forgot to put on pants. This is a thing that, like, the lines aren't just a thing that, like, only referees know about. They're basically a meme at this point. That you could forget to draw the lines is incomprehensible. And so he forgets to draw the lines, and the PGMOL has sent us what I'm sure is a lovely apology. Mikel Arteta basically says it in his post-match press conference. It was offside. It's offside twice. I don't understand it. And there really is no excuse for this. I don't want to get into the inquest yet of what do we do about the PGMOL and, you know, the fact that all the referees wear Manchester United shirts into the refereeing booth because they're literally all from Greater Manchester. I don't want to get to that yet. I just want to get to the actual moment itself. This is this is totally unforgivable, and I put it into two categories. There are bad calls, Clive, right? We've seen bad calls go against us. But they are judgment calls, right? Like a lot of Brentford fans were seething early in the game when I think it was Mbwepo was going to race through, but a foul was called. Yep, That's deal. a judgment call. Brentford fans don't agree with the judgment, but it's a judgment call the referee made. And I, I think it's soft, but it's givable. This is an administrative error. This is an error of fact, of administration, of failure to literally do. It would be like if a ref said penalty, pointed to the spot, and then said, okay, go kick. Right? You, you're supposed to actually let them take penalty. So, so how do you look at this? Because I can't forgive what I regard as an administrative error in the same way I can poor judgment. Yeah, you're right. And referees will be, no one wants to hear this today, but they will be heartbroken. Referees will always debate interpretation, but when they make a factual error against the laws of the game, that's the one that breaks them, right? And people say, what about the two points, Clive? I'm just telling you how it is. I talk to referees all the time. I know, I know how this works. So where do I go with this, mate? Where do I go with it? Um, there's so many places going. There. Should we should we talk about the the press conference first, right? So yeah, yeah, no, the, 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 most of the game, most of the game. So okay, we we brushed over the game. So we 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 we'll go back to the game, obviously. But it was a it was a 
We started bright. They came into it, had some moments. We got hold of the game. We score. Game is 75% won. Brentford have their bit after the goal. You know that bit always get? We manage it. They get a set piece to keep the ball into the area. And they get a goal. At that moment in time, you know, I'm I'm pretty pragmatic guy. I'm looking at it and saying, you know what? Brentford did well in that first half. I could just about take a 1-1, right? Walking to the press conference. And it's a very instructive day listening to some of the journalists, how they work, how they operate, and seeing how they ask questions. It was very, very informative for me and myself. And, and as soon as Arteta walked in, because when the goal was being allowed, you know, there was a VAR moment of three minutes or so, and I could see the little screens around me, and I thought, you know what, that looks a bit offside. But I trust them, you know what I mean? So when it was given, I thought, oh, well, maybe I got that wrong. You know, so as soon as the press conference started, the journalist hammer on the offside goal, I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is bigger than I thought. Do you know what I mean? This is now the story. Forget your 1-1 deserved draw uh, scenario because this is not the game anymore. There's something wrong here. And all the journalists were, were keyed into what really had happened and the potential error. And to be fair to Arteta, despite all of the efforts to make him make this about the game and really, you know, drive him on the pressures around the game, the pressures around the results. I thought he was really cool. Really cool. Yeah. But now, let's let's take it back now to the VAR room slightly. Now, I've worked in technology my whole life. And for people who work in technology, there's there's a couple of phrases I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of uh, repeat. One's called a four-eye check, right? Mm-hmm. So you have another person checking your work, right? And, and honestly, or you call it a maker-checker. And these are processes that happen in in life and technology and maybe other parts of the world as well, where you have somebody else in a manual process checking your work before something goes out the door, right? So mm-hmm. they have two VAR officials in that room. I ask myself a question sometimes. When these guys started refereeing, VAR wasn't something they were <laughs> they were looking to learn. This is about managing technology. And I found myself saying, where are the nerds in the room? Bring some nerds in there that understand how to operate technology properly in a more, in a non-footballing way. Because we are talking about lines here. We are talking about if you can judge the weight of somebody pushing against somebody else, whether it's a foul. That's what referees and system referees are for. We're talking about lines. You need to operate technology. So where are the nerds in the room? Are there enough nerds? Technical experts, subject matter experts, people exactly. who know, know what they're doing. So it's very, very simple. If you can't check the last pass before the goal, what are you doing in that room? The last action before the last action. Does that make sense, Elliot? The yep. last pass. you just got to put your line and roll back. Just focus on the contact. How many contacts in the box? Roll the line. Roll the lines. It is so simple. In fact, the line should already be there. It should be a two-minute job. And what mm-hmm. I found, what I found, funny enough, I watched Match of Day on Saturday night, and they seemed to know a lot on that analysis. And mm-hmm. they were, like, really well-informed, talking about, I think he... Lee Mason was was rushing. He felt he spent three minutes. First on, check took too long, so the second phase offside, he didn't want you. Yeah, you're right, mate. And so three minutes on the first check, and then he rushes the the second checks and doesn't actually do it. Now, 
you should, I wonder if you, should, if you should work backwards. Do you see what I mean? If you're working from the, the goal, there was a pass from the goal, should you work backwards rather than work forwards? And I, the whole thing is, is, is just, is, is just so wrong. And again, Elliot, why, you know, my big hobby horse about time, why is he worried mm. about time? If the clock has stopped, we wouldn't be worrying about time. You just do your job, right? So <laughs> well, add the time on. If they're that worried about time, then maybe they should have considered adding the nine or 10 or 11 minutes there should have been at stoppage exactly. time. We'll come on to that. But like, you can't cry, I was trying to rush while you got another team time wasting the hell out of the game. I think the ball was in play 60 minutes, which to be fair, like, you know, it's not down there with Better the Newcastle, Newcastle game, which was like 53. Yeah. But it's still the fact that we had five minutes of stoppage time, which was a joke. And I think we played about a minute and a half of it. So don't tell me on the one hand, you're worried about time when on the other hand, you're not putting it back on the clock. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and you're muted. I caught you caught you on mute, which is good. He's still talking though. He doesn't Sorry, care if mate. you can hear. He's got, he's got <laughs> ideas to waste. So full of good ideas, Clive. You got some you can just throw into the void and I'm still really come sorry. back with more. Please, please. I never do that. That's bad. That's unprofessional. <laughs> I did it as a host the other day, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really when the show comes uh, off the road. It gets better. Don't get me started about time. Please don't get me started about time. We've got to sort this out. You know, you're you're as soon as you make things not transparent, when when does that five minutes come from? Well, we can all see the substitutes and we can all see the mm-hmm. the VAR the VAR issues. It's just a joke. You can't you can't fool people. People are not being fooled by that. We have to grow up. There's a lovely video from Ian Wright at the weekend. I'm not sure how lovely is the right word. Yeah. But he he just sort of says we're meant to be the best league in the world. Let's sort this stuff out. You know, you haven't got to be a super analyst to work out. We don't manage time properly in the game. We have brought in technology into the game over the last few years, yet we treat injury time as exactly the same way. We've changed the substitution rules. We have more stoppages in the game. Every time a player goes down, it's a mini coaching session. The game has changed. So adjust to time accordingly. Don't sit there and do and add 180 seconds every time, then add a bit on top, depending on how you feel. That's what it feels like. It's just, it's just, it's not befitting Look, of the game, which is moving forward at a pace, apart from these 20 or so referees, half of them from Greater Manchester, that are not moving with the program. There needs to be a complete look at it, mate. We're talking about the wrong type of people with the wrong skill sets to manage a game which has now become elite, elite, elite. And these guys are just not. You know, forget Arsenal. Yeah. They're not good enough. They're not good enough. This is what's look, I know there are a lot of people listening who may bemoan the loss of some of the quainter traditions of English football, of some of the roots of English football. But let's face it, you have almost exclusive foreign ownership. You got 60, 70, 80,000 seater multi-purpose stadiums. You've got video review technology in the game. You've got global contracts to broadcast games on streaming services that bring in billions of pounds. Every single month, it feels like the transfer record gets shattered. We can't pretend, and I say we, I probably shouldn't include myself in this group, but you can't pretend it's the English first division anymore. It It is a global sporting league that happens to be located in England. And the last quaint vestige of an old tradition in the game of sorts is the PGMOL. And it is so out of step 
with where the league is. It is an anachronism. And that is before we even get into the lack of diversity in the group. And when I say diversity, by the way, I don't just mean diversity in the way we traditionally think about it. I mean diversity regionally, even within England. Diversity of thinking, Elliot. Diversity of of thinking. You know, of the, age, of race, of gender, of of region, of nationality, of uh, ideology, of anything that you want to say. And ultimately, even if you don't care about those things, even if you see those things, look, if, if you could convince me that the 20 best referees in the world were all one race or one nationality or one region or one gender, like, fine, you just want the best. But the whole point of diversity is you expand the pool of possible candidates. So you pull in the best talent and the best ideas and people who will look at things differently and spark creativity and change and improvement and evolution in the process. And there's none of that going on. It is a, it is a, a calcified organization rooted in outdated ideas about the game And that shows itself as the game evolves and the speed of the game goes up and the level of the technical quality goes up and the referees are being dragged behind it like an inner tube behind a speedboat. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. And so, you know, it is is corrosive. And I think the problem, what you cannot have in major sport, what will kill major sport is the perception that the competition is not fair and even. That it is that someone has their thumb on the scale. All any of us want from high-level sport is the belief that when the two teams step on the field of play, whether it's a court or a field or a pitch or you know whatever it is, the perception that the two teams can contest the game evenly. And it's why we get upset about what's happening with City because that puts a thumb on the scale of sort. But the one thing you cannot have is corruption. And these kinds of errors give credence to people who cry corruption. They just do. People who cry conspiracy. And I'm sorry, but what do you know? The Premier League gets a tilt between Arsenal and Manchester City with just a three-point gap and a chance for it to go to zero on Wednesday night, and it's exactly what they could have asked for. And so if you are inclined to conspiracy theory and if you are inclined to cry corruption, then this just looks like them running their script. And Clive, that's where the game can break down. Because once you start to believe that you aren't contesting the games fairly, then the game stops being worth investing in. And I think the league has to be concerned about this, not because they, the expectation should be that the referees get everything right, but because these kinds of errors, and by the way, it's not just Arsenal. Brighton faced an error like this. You could argue Chelsea faced one, although theirs is, I'd say, an error of judgment. The Brighton yeah. one and the Arsenal ones are errors of administration, which are very different. These are the kinds of things that leave fans rightfully being able to say, it's a conspiracy, they're out to get us. Absolutely, and... You know, bringing it back, you know, I think it bothered me. The Odegaard one, you know what, mate? It didn't feel right. The way they they came back to stop that goal, I didn't like it. You know, but we're not the best. We are biased, right? So I throw that one away. Yeah, exactly. My Odegaard foul, my Odegaard crikey, we're not we're not exactly talking a crunching midfield tackler there, are we? Do I mean a bad error of judgment? But I'd still put it in a different class of what you know what this is. Oh, different class, but it still annoys me the way the referee saw it for a flag play on, and they made him come back and disallow that. I mean, come on, man. What are you doing? That's wrong, right? So, Can I ask a question? Have you ever seen a club face more scenarios where an error is made that is never then made again? Like, like for example, the Granite Shacker red card at the halfway line, Martinelli two yellows in the same passage of play, uh, uh, Odegaard on the, whatever they're calling it, let them play initiative when the referee sees it and lets it play on and VAR still pulls it back. For, like, yeah. There's so many 
instances of Arsenal being adjudicated in a way where like, it's never been done again. <laughs> it doesn't well, make any sense. I mean, I'll, I'll give you, remember the Newcastle last minute penalty shot and we got the, the FA charge thereafter. I'm thinking, you know what? That was, it, we were a bit excited. We wanted that, we wanted that penalty. Didn't get it. But I tell you what, we got the charge. I didn't see anyone else getting many charges. But then a few days later, we go to Oxford, a League One ground. We are jogging around in our lovely white kit. We're going to win the game. There is no pressure on the game. We have a, a minor penalty appeal where we just have a... The, the guys were smiling as they were appealing. And we get another charge. Mm-hmm. And, and you start... And for people who are thinking about conspiracies, they, 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 they can do sums, Elliot. They can add up. What's going on here? You know, what is going on here? Why Why is this happening? And suddenly there's a big focus on the manager. People are saying Arteta was calling the press conference. Well, he has to be calling a press conference because he's been jumping around on the sideline. Where has that come from? You know, where has that come from? The, and so if you are thinking this way, there's enough material out there for you to feel aggrieved, shall we say. But coming back to this one, mate, I, I walked out of that ground feeling different. I walked out of that press conference feeling different again. And I realized as soon as I got to a big screen that something very bad had happened. And I was trying my hardest not to throw myself into the hole that the that the referees had given me to throw myself into. Mm-hmm. Because I, in my own head, I don't want anybody around Arsenal to be distracted about the game that's coming up on Wednesday night. But then uh, the more content you consume, the more it just consumes you. you know. And then you realise, this is really, really, really not right. And something needs to be done about it for the good of football. Because the game is too important, too big, it's too important to too many people around the world to have that level of incompetence. And I'm not saying a referee can miss a handball, he can can not see a foul like I see a foul, but mate, draw your lines. You are a linesman. (laughs) Draw your lines. It's this simple. (laughs) It's this simple. When you watch international tournaments now, where the pool of referees is all the best referees from all over the world. Yeah. They are refereed better because you don't have that bottom third who shouldn't be refereeing at the elite level. The fact is Lee Mason has been removed from refereeing on multiple occasions because he's not good enough. The idea that the Premier League should still be employing him to referee in any capacity makes no sense. And by the way, I I take no pleasure, no pleasure whatsoever in ever asking for anybody to lose their job. No pleasure. But the simple fact of the matter is, all of us know, if I do my job poorly, long enough, I'm going to lose it. And if I make an egregious mistake that is outside what is um, common within the practice of my profession, I will lose my job. And that goes for all of us. And it should go for Lee Mason. And the fact that it goes for all of us, but doesn't go at the highest level of elite sport when there's maybe 40 people in the world who sit in this job, period. You're not entitled to be a referee in the Premier League. You're just not. You have to, it should be an aggressive competition of the best and only the best should hold the position and they should be from all over the world. And if you are one of the best, you should get the job. And if you're not, you shouldn't have it. And so, Right now, the Premier League employs a few referees, and we can all name them off the top of our head, who are very good, and their games tend to be refereed very well. 
Yeah. It's not that they never make an error of judgment or they never get it wrong, but they tend to be refereed very well, free of major incident. And then there's a, a cluster who have no business refereeing at this level. They don't keep the clock right. They don't control the players right. They don't get the close calls right. They they don't communicate with their VAR right. They just don't have control over the game. And for that to be the case in this league at this point is unforgivable. The PGMOL has to go. It has to be professionalized within the Premier League. They should own the refereeing themselves, and they should find a pool of talented referees from all over the world so that when you watch the Champions League or you watch the World Cup or the Euros, you think, yeah, that's about the standard that we get in the Premier League because that yeah. is not the case right now. And I want to turn the boat pretty quickly here, Clive, because like there will be a lot of people saying, we get it, guys. Uh, there was a game that was played and we weren't very good in it. Can you get to that? We're going to. But uh, yeah. final thoughts on this point? Yeah, I just think uh, I love that last point about if we are going to be the best thing in the world, let's think differently about refereeing. Let's 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 not be closed. Let's not be closed to within ten miles of Greater Manchester. Let's let's open our minds up to different ways of thinking. And the the game has changed. There is a game on the pitch that requires unbelievable skills and expertise. And you have to go through a number of different grades and levels to get to that point. And where you have mentors and you're and you're you are really pushing ahead. You're really pushing forward. And so you have all of this. And it's very difficult to get onto the TV screen to be a Premier League referee. So I give a hats off to those guys for reaching that level. However, the game has changed. And we have to have different ways of thinking about the game. And there's a referee on the pitch, there's a referee off the pitch. And do you need, you know, do you need to have the same group of referees being pushed into games, exhausted? being pushed into games again refereeing so many more games they're going to make mistakes the pool needs to be broadened do they all need to be like, could they be more technology based people in the room people that can't be accused of having vested interest to, to use the technology in a better way to assist a group of people uh, referees not just have referees going round and round the cycle have this sort of way of thinking diversity of thinking earlier it's a, it's a major point Diversity isn't just about giving the black guy the job. Diversity is about making sure you have different people from different backgrounds that have different ways of thinking about a problem. It's diversity of thinking, diversity of backgrounds, and we seem to have the same backgrounds of people governing the game. And I'm not sure that's appropriate any longer for a game that's so global. Yeah, I mean, great example. Look at the artwork project done by Arsenal, right? Yeah. Pulled together a very diverse group of fans and produced a really extraordinary outcome, right? If you put all the same type of fan with the same idea and same background and same experience of Arsenal in a room, you would have produced very different backgrounds. Would that have produced the best outcome? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, we, we see this. You Anyway, I, I don't want to overdo it. We get it. Where it leaves us now is... It leaves us in a position where this city game is crucial. It was always going to be crucial, and now it's even more crucial. And ultimately... And I think I can pivot this way. While I am outraged, I don't think the outcome of the game is a pale reflection of the game that was played. Now, yeah. I want to be clear. I have always... So there are people that say that mark of a champion is winning ugly, is being able to win when you're not at your best. Well, if you get your nose in front when you haven't been at your best and you win, everybody's going to say mark of a champion. When VAR gets it wrong and takes those three points from you, 
then it's, oh, you weren't very good. Now, I'll admit, I don't like the saying, the mark of a champion is winning when you're not at your best. Because I believe the mark of a champion is dominating your games consistently. I know you can't do that every game. Yeah. But I will say, Clive, as we sort of pivot here, it's now a couple of games where I think we've run into the same challenge. And the same challenge is this. This sort of 5-3-2 low block where you can double both wingers and get three men in the center of the pitch you know, and, and two men in front of them sort of blocking up central spaces. And we're, we're struggling to pull it apart. And I don't think we've really figured out what to do with that yet. And the story of this game for me is really two things. That sort of 5-3-2 low block where we didn't have the ideas to pull it apart or the speed of movement or the speed of the passing to pull it apart. And then the long ball over our press, negating our press, where Tony was able to just monster the center backs, especially Saliba. I, I mean, one almost, I think it was something like 16 of 17 on aerial duels or 17 of 18 of aerial duels and nine of 10 on ground duels. So for me, those are the two stories of the game. And, and, and I'm curious what you want to talk about first. I think I'd like to talk about the defensive component of it, which is have, has a, a blueprint been laid out now a little bit? We're, we know Arsenal are going to be able to progress it deep. We know they're going to be able to keep it deep. So what we have to do is we have to negate the way they create chances. And the way that's happening right now is double the wide men congest the central spaces. So do, do you agree right. with generally um, what, what's happening there? Right, so I'm going to, I'm going to talk about Sleba first, right? So, again, you want to go that side first. All right, let's I'll do that, that side first. Cause I, I want to, I want to give a counter view here. I watched this game, and I have not rewatched it because I want you to come to the podcast with in-game feelings, so people can say to me, Clive, when you see it on the big screen, you'll you'll feel differently. So when I saw Sleba fighting Tony, I'm thinking, I'm glad we got Sleba fighting Tony because when you see Tony in real life, he's massive, mate. He is massive. Honestly, he is big. And we have got the biggest centre-back in the league. I, Apart from Harry Maguire, I don't think anyone bigger than Saliba. Right? And heavier. I think the weight is a key. And it was a 50... For me, it looked 50-50. Now, you can say to me, oh, Clyde, but Aerial Jews, he lost them all. No, no, no. Trust me on this. Sometimes, you, when you're not going to win the ball, you can't get over a guy from behind. You challenge, but you don't really challenge. You're focusing with affecting his ability to retain it and he might have uh, Tony may have won the flick on but we win the seconds in the first half party was dropping into the back line and he was picking it up and the second half a bit mm. more risky we were pushing on and Sleeper was, was was sorry um Gabrielle was picking it up sometimes you have to say you know what I'm going to compete with you so you can't turn around and uh, you know like it's a Sunday lunch and do what you like but really I'm after the next action so don't look at the sofa score today and look at the brackets bit and say he lost every single thing. Look at the game. Look at the next thing that happens afterwards. Tony's good. Make no mistake. But Saliba was not as bad as people are saying. And I'm so glad we had Saliba against him and not Ben White when we first went to Brentford because the difference in weight and physicality and power is significant. And we had somebody that could deal with him up to a point, not take away from Tony's performance, he was superb, and it was a pleasure to watch him. But I felt our centre-backs were not rubbish, neither. I thought they were decent. So I want to clear that up. It's about the game, not okay. about the next action. Right, so people can come I, at I me if they fair. want to. And, and, and to your point, um, Tony, who did win all those duels, was mm -hmm. 44% passing. Yeah. So what that tells you, right, is he may have won the ball, but he didn't find the next man. I would actually say the Everton game, we were pulled apart more in terms of they won the second ball. 
More yes, than, exactly. Than, they were than... far better down the gut. In the so each team different problems, right? So sometimes you have got to say, you know what? Let him have it. We focus on the next one. We get the ball back and, and we're off and running. Right? So it didn't, it didn't matter, right? So so let's get back to the whole structure side of things. So okay, mm-hmm. the, the the five three two or four five one or five three one one, which this sometimes turns into because the second striker then sits on that holding midfielder. So you try mm-hmm. to stop the, the recycling around the, the horseshoe, so, per se. And what I felt Brentford did, I thought they were better and braver than than uh, Newcastle, for sure, who were a disgrace. Uh, Everton were, were good at home. They're the best team, statistically, I think we played this year. But I thought Brentford were quite brave. And, and where they were brave was on with Rico Henry. I thought they pushed him on quite nicely. He's very mm. sharp across the ground. And he, and they trust him to do two jobs. So they gam- they're trying to get Saka to come back with him, to get him away from the danger area. But Saka cheated a bit on him. And they were they were prepared to leave Ben Mee with him wide. But I thought I thought we had joy. But we didn't have enough joy, and so let's let's get to the let's get to this right. We've lost a couple of people in the middle of the pitch. We we we're losing the connections to Eddie, and we're losing a little bit of Granite Shaka. Let's just call it as it is. And what we're also losing, but I did see us trying to fix this. We're starting to vary the runs of the wide men. I don't think they can no longer just sit there, chalk on boots on a stretch team because teams are putting five in the back line and they're already stretched and they're comfortable being with those distances. And we can only move it so fast. And by the time it gets to the wide man, you're coming back out again. And so we need to vary our rounds and be more aggressive to run through. And I saw Martinelli and Saka sometimes on the inside making different runs. And I think they need to almost, I'd like to see us flip this a little bit and pull Eddie in a bit more and almost play like a diamond and have Martinelli and Saka being free forwards running in behind Eddie and causing problems and going with their like. I think we've lost a bit of rotation and had a little bit of structure and we've lost that that rotating. We feel more confident to rotate positions when Gabriel Jesus was there. But Saka had a shot from the left wing, left side of the box, Martinelli was roaming. I thought we saw the start of us trying to fix this. I thought we saw a recognition that we have a problem. We have to evolve how we play. And to do that, we to set those two wide men free. Because they're our most dangerous players. They've got the best pace. They've got the best direction. They need to be set free to go where they feel it and go and get around the game. Go and get around Odegaard and, and get closer together and really overload together. You know, play as a two behind Eddie working around the fringes and connecting them in a slightly deeper area. Change it up slightly. And I saw that change. There isn't too many big body teams left, Elliot. You know what I mean by mm. that? You know, Everton, yeah. Brentford, Newcastle, they really stand out for me. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. You know, May Knight are quite tall, apart from Martinez. They're quite tall. I'm thinking about it now. I can't see another big body team that we need to be thinking they're going to do this and be able to sustain it because teams have tried and we've taken them. I just think we're missing we're missing a couple of maybe a bit of Jesus and we're missing a bit of sparkle yeah. around uh the left eight position, shall we say. And maybe a left maybe wing we just as well. Need- Maybe we just need Lee Gunn's top scorer, Fuller and Balogun, on 16 goals. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm kind of kidding. Um, 
I want to talk Zinchenko Shaka a little bit. I, I I do think the Jesus point is one that like it, it's hard because people are so invested in recognizing how good Eddie has been that I almost feel like they've resisted discussing how good Jesus was because it'll somehow be disrespectful to Eddie and Kedia. Yeah. When the Jesus injury was announced, a lot of us were like, there goes the season, it's done. I mean, we were in a low place. Think yeah. about where we were when that I happened. Was. We were low. We were like, that's it. We I have to have a striker in in the window January 1st or our title challenge is gone. And Eddie banged in some important goals. Whether you think Eddie is trash and I never rated him or whether you think he's he's a superstar. He's not Jesus. Go all the way back to the summer. Think about preseason Jesus. Think about those first few games and how we're like, "Oh my gosh, we're a different we're a, we're a different team with this guy." Yeah. He transformed us. And now we're acting surprised that Eddie Inkedia, good young player developing into his game, is not giving us what Brazil number 9, you know, multiple league title winning Gabriel Jesus was giving us. They're different players at different stages of their career with different talent and different skill sets. We miss what Jesus does. We miss the battling, dual-winning guy in the middle. We miss the guy who knows when to show for the ball and lay it off to a second-man run. We miss the guy who will win the hopeless ball. We miss the guy who can turn and face and dribble two guys in the box and create havoc. No, Jesus was not banging in goals. He'd say, well, Eddie's scoring. Jesus stopped scoring. It's not just the scoring. It's what do you create for everybody else, Right. Um, whether you want to say, well, Martinelli's trash, take him out. It should be Troussard. The I know Troussard scored in this game, but the left side didn't look very different with him than it did with Martinelli, right? Yeah. The goal he scores, Please. I think Martinelli probably scores too. Let's be honest. It originates with great sack of play on the right. It's all his strength, all his running, all his ball across. I just think we miss Jesus, Clive. And like, it, it shouldn't be controversial or disrespectful to any player to say that our superstar striker signing of the summer who transformed us is something we're missing now. And I think yeah. one thing that could be overlooked a little bit is Eddie Nketiah, what's the most Premier League games he's ever started in his career prior to this season? Eight? Maybe? Nine? He's never gone twice a week at this level. He's never gone week in, week out at the Premier League level. He's never had to play at this intensity. with. And by the way, no one in this squad's ever played with a title on the line. Yeah. Now you're taking an Eddie and Keddy and asking him to play week in, week out, Premier League level, 90 minutes, uh, title on the line. The fact that he's done this well is a huge credit Incredible. to his talent, his work, Incredible. his commitment. But it's asking an absolute ton of a player at this stage of his career. And I don't think you have to be putting down Eddie and Keddy to say, you know what, we do miss Gabriel Jesus, that is not shocking. And I think it is showing up against teams that are willing to bunker, willing to emphasize shutting down our wide men. And we don't we don't have the guy in the middle of the park who can who can be a focal point, take the ball at the top of the D, beat a guy, lay a lay a ball off. That we're just we're missing that component, you know? Yeah. We're missing the physicality. That's what we're missing. Mm-hmm. And the the and the connectivity, you know? And the fact that he feels really empowered to go where he likes. And when he when he goes where he knows he needs to go to either press somebody or receive the ball, other people then shift positions because he's taken a slot and I need to go and fill their slot. And so that rotation has gone. Eddie's is not feeling as emboldened, as empowered as a younger player to shift. In fact, a lot of Eddie's brightest moments have come out off the left when he has gone wide, and I like to see him shift a bit more. So rotation is the key. So get him to go left and then come inside, and Martinelli goes center forward. Let's move these guys around. 
if they stand still in their zones, we're going to get rumbled. And there, there's a danger of doing that. Different players, mate. You know my views on, on Eddie's. By the way, against Spurs and against Manchester United, I didn't think he could reach those levels. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. So I didn't think those levels were there. And he was And different fantastic. types of games with different challenges, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, different games call for different qualities. We're playing we're yeah. playing one way right now, you know? Yeah, but the main United game, mate, I watched it. He was he was immense. Yeah. He was immense. Yeah. In, in in Jesus' way, he's immense. You know, physically running people down. He emptied the tank. But that could be part of the problem. He is playing 90 minutes of every game, even against Oxford. He's playing 90 minutes. And so we're bringing him in. He hasn't had a, a ton of minutes, but he's now playing every minute of every game. And if I was looking at Martinelli or Trossard, I'm looking at Eddie and thinking, mate, I'd love you to come off the bench for the last half hour. You would murder people. You know, you really would. And he's not able to because we. I think we feel like we have to play him. I'll be honest with you and, and say, I, I would love to see something different and in the centre-forward position for Man City just to change it up. But we probably won't, you know. So, but I'd love to see it because I just want to see energy come in. Sometimes by changing something, you add energy, you know. And I think we, I just see Eddie just fading a little bit. But he's not the only one I see fading a little bit, you know. Odegaard didn't end this game strong. Shaka didn't end this game strong. He got substituted, you know. So there's a few frayed edges appearing, which happens over a season. It's not the end of the world, but it's how you react to it. Do you react to it on Wednesday night or do you react to it on Saturday morning? But we do need to share these minutes around. We mustn't get to the place we were last season where we only played 12 players and then we suffer for it when we had injuries at the end of the year and the players that came in weren't ready and we slaughtered them. Do you know what I mean? As fans, we slaughtered them and that's not fair on them. And I think it's important we get this right. Man City isn't the time to um, experiment. Maybe some people are shouting in my ear right now. So, No, and, and this is a hard part, right? <clears throat> I do think maybe defenses have sussed us out a bit, right? I mean, it it's more than halfway through the season now. You played every team. They've had a chance to look at you and how you approach it. There are some good managers. There's some bad managers, but there's some really good tacticians in this league. I think Frank is one of them, by the way. And you're going to start to face the challenge of teams that know what they're doing. By the way, Everton and Brentford, we took one point from that. Do you know what City took from Everton at home, Brentford at home? One point. One point they drew yeah. Everton at home. They lost to Brentford at home. And they lost to Brentford at home, I think, in a game where they you know, they, they rightfully lost to Brentford at home. Um, right. So you say, oh, this can't happen in a title challenge. Well, it literally happened to the team you think might overtake us in the title challenge. Yeah. Right. Except they did it home and home. So yeah, you just have to put this stuff into context. I I really do want to talk Shaka Zinchenko because I have I want to pick your tactical brain on something there that I think is is something that we can at least look at. Um, but you know, something else that you can look at is beautifully shaved privates. And and I think you know if if you are going to to look at privates, then looking at beautifully shaved privates is the kind you want. And you know. It is Valentine's Day tomorrow as I sit here recording this. Maybe you're going to be preparing for Valentine's Day by taking some crusty old razor that's been in your shower for six months and trying to get yourself cleaned up. And then your your Valentine's gift to your partner is going to be, you know, a trip to the emergency room. Yeah, that we don't want that. Nobody wants that. 
You know what you want? You want the Manscaped products that are going to get you prepared to have the best down there situation. And we're talking about the Platinum Package 4.0 right now. And you can get the Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com, use promo code ARSENALVISION for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to level up and fully align your hygiene routine with the most stylish and premium grooming products out there. You're going to get the Lawnmower 4.0, which is the best purpose-built trimmer on the market. Ceramic blades and skin-safe technology reduce cuts and nicked. It's got 4,000K LED spotlight, so you know exactly what's going on down there. Wet, dry, use it in the shower if you want. No problem. Long battery life, wireless charging. Plus, it's waterproof. I said that. Uh, don't trim your nose hairs with, um, I don't know, like a, a kitchen shear or anything like that. Use the Weed Whacker. It's for nose and ear hair, something that I am now uh, unfortunately in need of. Grooming routine not complete without the toners, without the deodorants, without the shampoo and conditioner, body wash, all of that. The Platinum Package includes all of it, plus the anti-chafing boxer briefs, which I love for working out, and the Shed Travel Bag are your free gifts. It's the absolute best package. Go. Well, and you're going to have the best package as well. Haha, <laughs> there, threw that in. Take advantage of Manscaped's best valued bundle and save 20% off and free shipping with the code ARSENALVISION at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code ARSENALVISION. Time to save and shave with Manscape, and it's crazy. I mean, I was just on Twitter the other day and like literally came across a conversation of people being like, I love Athletic Greens. Me too, I love Athletic Greens. It wasn't even like a promotion or anything. It was just people organically talking about how much they love Athletic Greens AG1. Uh, it is a product that very simply replaces the need to have a shelf full of expensive and worthless vitamins, gummies, all that stuff. It is 75 high-quality vitamins, nutrients, adaptogens, probiotics. It is a full health bomb to start your day. Just put put it in water, drink it down, tastes great. I started taking AG1 because I wanted a few things. I wanted to get off my reliance on so much caffeine throughout the day and, and maintain energy, and I needed gut health. Provided both of those for me. It's going to provide lots of things for you. Some things you can know about it. It's paleo-friendly, keto, vegan, dairy-free, um, low sugar, so you can take it whatever your um, your lifestyle, your nutritional lifestyle is, Okay. The ingredients are whole food, whole food sourced superfoods, right? Which is great because your body can process that more, and it costs less than a than a like coffee house coffee a day. Okay, so this is something that you should be adding to your daily routine for whole body health. If a free comp, if a free, if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com/vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Check it out live. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Now that <clears throat> should uh, say a word, by the way, our thoughts go out to everybody uh, affected by family, affected by friends, affected by the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Um, I guess technically like just it's an earthquake that affected that region horrifying news coming out of there. Uh, we are certainly going to have our fundraiser coming up, which will benefit, um, you know, some refugees that are dealing with that situation, that's probably not for a few weeks still, but uh, lots of good places to give, I'm sure. And, and you know, whatever you can do to help out, uh, I'm sure the help will be hugely, hugely appreciated and, and desperately needed. And so our, you know, our thoughts, our love, our prayers, our sorrow, whatever we can send, plus our support goes out to that region for sure. So uh, yeah, just devastating, devastating stuff. Clive, um, one of the things that I, I said I wanted to pick your brain about, and I, and I do, is the the Shaka Zinchenko side of things. The left-hand side, you know, the funny thing is I don't think either side worked great in this game. But the left-hand side, to me, starts to feel like it's got some redundancy because Zinchenko is playing essentially in a position that a Shaka might feel comfortable playing, right? They, they're both 
I, I think Shaka could play the Zinchenko role. As a result of Zinchenko being there, there isn't a lot of overlap on the left, which means your left winger is is asked to stay really wide, hold the width, try to stretch the defense horizontally across the pitch. What I think as a result of that you need is a left eight who will dart behind, who will combine, who will pull defenders away. And it's just not natural for Shaka. And this isn't anti-Shaka because he's been one of our players of the season, but it's the question with Zinchenko sitting there sort of in that half space, basically being a central midfielder, sort of shielding the back line, are we are we seeing a little redundancy? Is are, are Shaka's qualities and Zinchenko quality both needed? Is it a situation where if you're going to play Shaka, maybe you use Tierney and you let Tierney go outside and you let Shaka drop back a bit and Martinelli gets pushed closer to the box? Although I thought Martinelli was getting more central in this game, to be fair. What, what's yeah. the solution for what feels like a left-hand side that either needs more width or needs someone in the half space that will that will challenge the defense a little more? Because right now that... That whole dynamic just feels a little too easy to to keep at bay. And, may, and maybe it was just an off day for Zinchenko, who I thought played a little hero ball, took some long shots he shouldn't have, tried to play some crosses early that weren't coming off. So is it is it a system issue or maybe just an off day? Yeah, Zinchenko's trying very hard. North of 100 touches again. He's dominating our team. Him and Party dominate the base of our team. That's it. All right? So a bit of Ben White, we they're dominating. And so I find myself looking at Shaka and I find myself just looking at him, and he's looking around to try to be positionally correct. He's looking at where people go, then he feels where they've just been. You know, so he's been so team orientated to make sure there's no holes in the team. But when we're one one or one nil down, or you start to look at the team in a different way, and I'm very mm-hmm. conscious of game state analysis, right? So when we're you know, when we're losing a game, I'm thinking, oh my god, we need something. We need something quick. He's like, quick, what do we do? Well, what's what's he doing? He ain't doing much. Let's get him out and get someone else in. You know, I'm very conscious of that. But maybe the bigger question is, how comfortable are we with the evolution of this team tactically, and what it may mean to some players that only a short while ago were deemed untouchable. You know, and and I think we have to get comfortable with it because, you know, in all the laptops of the analysts around the league today, they know what we're going to do. And we have we may have to change something. Now, that change, I'll just give you a change, for example, that could happen, that could that maintain a certain balance. What if we were to say, Gianco, you you've been you've been trying a bit hard, you, you sit for a game. Maybe it's Villa on Saturday, and we're gonna play Tomiasu at left back. And we're going to play Trossard at left eight. And people are thinking, what are you talking about there? Well, what you get, you get your, you get your height, you get your physicality, but you bring somebody into the interior that can do very good things personality-wise, carrying-wise, committing people on the ball. And so you've got your five back. So when you have these set-piece monster teams, you're not, you're not undersized, but you are getting some of the things to go forward. So the Sinchenko Shaka thing on paper fits. Um, does the Tierney Sinchenko thing fit? You know, there are options available for us. Could Tierney play as Sinchenko plays inside? He's more or less doing it anyway. But Tierney ask him to do a physical job up and down and cause people a problem on that side and roll Ben White back in. There are there are there are evolutions available for us. Is whether we press the button. I thought it was quite interesting. I don't think we're the only one thinking this, because I think Arteta thought it. 
you heard my halftime chat at the weekend, Elliot. And Vieira mm. came on, didn't he? He came on in the left eight position. And I was secretly willing him to do well. Willing him to do well. And he just he, didn't. He won't be coming on again. He won't uh, come on again. He just that, didn't. That free kick at the end of the game, what a... Oh, yeah, man. and he's got such a. But we right? know he's got such a lovely delivery, and I felt for him because yeah. the last memory yeah. thing people can remember that. Yeah. But but before that, Elliot, I just I still feel it's a difficult role to fill, and you've got to have a difficult. You know, you got to have a certain personality. Odegaard's got it on the other side. You know, just he's just got it. The closest I've seen to Odegaard is probably Trossard. You know, at this moment mm-hmm. in time, he doesn't care, mate. He just says, "Give it to me." But you can't have. You, you might be physically challenged, you know, in that position. If you, you know, I think there's a game last week, Man City played in midfield without um, Gundogan and without Kevin De Bruyne and Rodri got he got killed, right? So, and they bring Gundogan and De Bruyne back in, the physical balance is there and they're, and they're fine again, you know? So, you've got to be careful not to think about the game state and you lose the physical balance of your team and you start to concede, you know, and you start to look bad. So, Evolution, mate. How comfortable are we with evolving these tactics and maybe losing someone out of the team that is a leader, a, a captain potentially? Um, we have to be prepared for everything based on form, abilities, and, and a profile match, right? So um, yeah. I, I, it's, it's coming, isn't it, Elliot? The evolution is coming around the corner, isn't it? It has to. It, well, it's tricky. The one thing you don't want to do <clears throat> when you had set a record for points at the halfway mark of the season, when you've been the best yeah. team in the league, is overreact, right? And say, this is the hardest thing, I think, in management. Knowing when there is a problem and you need to adjust before it becomes a crisis and knowing when there isn't a problem and the thing to do is take a deep breath and keep doing what you do. I'm inclined to say the Shaka thing is on the borderline of both, only in this respect. Mm. If I told you, if I told you Martin Odegaard was going to be the best player in the Premier League this season, you might say that's possible. He's got that kind of talent. Or Saka is going to be the best player in the Premier League. I'd say that's possible. He's going to have that kind of talent. <clears throat> if I said to you, granted, Shaka might be one of the best number eights in the Premier League, you'd say, well, he's a good player, but that, is that really his skill set? Can he maintain yeah. that all season? We talked about he came in lighter in preseason, right? He, he, he came in lighter. He was a little more dynamic post world cup. Is he fading a little? He's post 30. He's playing in a position that requires a little more explosiveness. A couple of times I made notes in this game, a ball went in and he was caught on his heels a little bit. This is not a shack of criticism thing. He's being asked to play a position that requires different physical skill sets, different mental skill sets. I do think the idea that maybe just maybe Shaka's ability to play an entire premier league season at left eight, giving you both the balance and the attack, you know, both the the shielding and the central midfield awareness and the attack, it may not be possible. And I do think there were a lot of games in the first half of the season when Zinchenko was injured, where Shaka looked amazing because Tierney's not going to give you some of the, the Zinchenko stuff. So Shaka has to be there. Yeah. But when Zinchenko's there, do you need both? <clears throat> like, so, so it leads me to this question. Trissard came on for Martinelli, and I think the immediate thing, right, is, well, he scored, so it worked. Okay. To some extent, how can you argue with that? But the goal he scored is Saka finally gets him behind and creates some space with brilliant running, lovely strength, and a great ball across. Does Martinelli score that goal? Maybe he doesn't finish it. I think he makes Maybe the run. Maybe he's not there. there. You think he's there? Maybe he's not there. I, yeah, I think he's probably there. But set that aside. 
I didn't see the dynamic change much. No. I don't think that the way we we attacked changed much. So I still sort of wonder, and maybe it is the case that, look, keep starting the way you've been starting because this team has been good and it's still good. But maybe the, the substitution patterns should be rethought in terms of doing something that just fundamentally changes the system. And you hit on some of the ways it could be done, so I don't want to reiterate them. But then there's this other problem, Clive. We got City coming up. City are not going to play a 5-3-2 bunkered in deep, right? And, and doubling up our wingers. Yep. So like, you could you could make the mistake of thinking we need to adjust to what's gone wrong against Everton and Brentford, but you'd be adjusting based on a game that's totally different from the one you're going to face. Agreed. I think we have a really tricky situation because against City, we're going to face a totally different challenge. Maybe we stick with what's worked all season to face that challenge, but then against Villa, we're going to go back to probably facing the kind of thing that that Everton and Brentford tried to do. Yeah. So, I think do you it's think a, it's best? How do you, how would you approach the, the city challenge? Specifically? I I think you make a great point. I think we shouldn't overreact versus we gotta have a different game. This is about intensity, quality of the ball, your ability to concentrate and focus and, and match their runs and bi-directional movement that they have. Right, so. Got to be cute. Right? So I think the substitution pattern is the one is where the evolution is. And we st- we started to see the start of that with Vieira coming in. And I, and I like that. Whether he was successful or not, it's the thinking, Elliot. That means he, mm. he's thinking about this. right? So the Trossard, Martinelli thing, I'll be honest with you, I'm not down on Martinelli like everyone else is. I'm not down on him. I watched him trying to get into this game. I'm watching his movement. He did one flick in front of the press box I didn't like. Apart from that, we didn't need we need him to hold the ball. Apart from that, I thought he tried manfully and he's he's engaged and he's trying to work his way through a slight flat spot in form. And that's what we're talking about here. Form. No player can play brilliantly all of the time. Saka had an average game against Man City the other day. Man City have rested Nathan Aki for this game, right? So you know what's coming there, don't you? And Saka mm-hmm. played; he played his heart out on Saturday afternoon. So that's going to be interesting. I think Saka's going to take him. You know, I really do. It's going to take him. But form, how you manage form. But I think the substitute patterns is where it's at. I would like to see Trossard come in either and Martinelli move inside on occasion. You know, I'd like to see Trossard have time to play with Martinelli. You know, I want to see what that looks like. I'm not against seeing Tierney every now and again. Zinchenko hasn't got to play to the end of the game all of the time. I know he's dominating the game, but Kieran Tierney's, he's no scrub, as you guys in America would say. He's no scrub, right? How about, I don't want um, no scrubs. <laughs> scrub is a guy I can't get no love from me. Exactly. Love that tune. Right? So like, um, and so basically, the, give them the time. Don't Don't close up again. Don't close up and not trust these people. Give them their time. Yeah, you've done great for 75 minutes, mate, but come and sit with me because we've got some games coming up in March. Get Kieran Tierney on and see what happens. Don't let where we are in the league make you tense around making changes with good quality players coming on the pitch. They might give you some different. They might throw the game away for you. Play your players. Play them. Give them a go. Make sure they play. Make sure they feel part of this. Don't close up. I don't want to see that again. These guys are much better than the squad we had at the bench last year. Get them on the pitch. See different combinations, particularly late in games, and see where we end up. And we could find our evolution that's hiding by playing different 
partnership and different connections. I will say in this game, I thought Arsenal started it really well and they were really bright. And I had, I was thinking, this is going to be a great day. What a great day it's going to be. As soon as Brentford had the first chance, I felt the air come out of blue a little bit and it shook us. The quality of their big chances, Elliot, they had two big chances in the first half and the quality was so high that it shook us a little bit and it made us nervous. We lost our way, got to halftime, got a verbal slap, come out and, and we took over the game. And we probably would have won the game, you know, one nil. That's all you need, isn't it? Yeah. That's all you need. But we can, got our we got I our excuse. You, yeah, do do you think the title challenge is is getting to the club at all in the sense that set the players aside for a minute? I thought this was the first Emirates game and you were there, so I'm curious if you felt this. Mm. It felt a nervier atmosphere. Like it, when they scored, the cheer that went up wasn't like it, it wasn't the roar it's been all season. Yeah. You know, once they started to get a couple chances and we didn't have it all our own way, it was a little quieter. There was a little more sitting on the hands. Like, and I don't think that's, you know, the fans didn't do their job. It's just, is the pressure of it transmitting now? Do you think it's transmitting through the whole club? And, and that includes sort of Fortress Emirates? Because going into the City game, we're going to need it to be like it's been all season. But I thought that there was, at least through the TV, like a, a palpable anxiety in the ground. Yeah, I, I was sober for this game. I'm not doing that I'm again, sorry. by the way. I'm sober for this game. And um, and so I could really, really feel what people were feeling. And you're absolutely spot on from where I was. It was tense. You know, it, it was tense. I think we could see that Brentford ha- hadn't come to be a bunch of tourists. They, they come to play, right? They come to play and... They were prepared to play. They were physical. They were strong. They were also smart and efficient. They would come to play, but we pushed them back. We it was a proper game of football, but it, mm. it, you know they, it was a real match, and we could see it. Fans are not stupid, and but one thing I will say about this, I got first hand view of how narratives and stories are created. You know, and we're just humans, and we 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 read everything. We watch everything, we read everything. And the story has always been, it's been it's been laid up, hasn't it? Arsenal eventually gonna crack. They haven't done the they haven't done this before. They're the youngest team. The manager's losing his marbles. It's just laying it out there for us. The players are out of control, crowding referees. It's only January. It's attention getting to us. It, and, and no wonder people I think getting a bit tense. This Man City game has been hanging around us for a while and we haven't played them yet. And I just think, I'll I'll be happy when this game is over because one way or another, we're going to find out exactly where we are. And I think we just need to go. It's like you have an exam, Elliot. You've got an exam and and it's been delayed. Just do the exam. You know, I've done my revision. I've done my work. I'm ready for it. Let's do the exam. I want to see what the results are. I think that's what's hanging around us at the moment. We've done our work. Statistically, we are the best team. We're sitting there, you know, doing a fantastic start to the season. But the real exam is City, and we haven't taken it yet. We've taken all the other exams. We haven't taken this one. And no one's going to feel comfortable until we do the exam with City. Then we can mentally reset. Then we can breathe. One way or the other, we'll know exactly where we are. You know, and I think that's really important. I think this game can't come quickly enough. I didn't think I would say that, but it can't come quickly enough for me. I'm desperate for it. 
Can't wait to get there. It's going to be an amazing night. Can't wait for it. This team and this club needs this game. And I saw signs on Saturday. I know it was tense, but I saw signs on Saturday that we're getting ready for this game. We're moving people around the pitch a bit more. The connections and the combinations are returning. We need this game to find our top form against a team that plays like us, looks at the game like us, not afraid to play. We'll play us. We'll cut our throats if we let them. But we can cut their throats too. I can't wait for it, mate. It's going to be a proper game. I can't wait. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I feel the same way. And like, it, it is sort of weird to me that the narrative is, here comes City because they beat Villa at home. Like, I think Henry Winter had a tweet like, you can see City on the charge now. Their last game they lost. <laughs> like, they literally lost their last game. Two games prior to that, they lost to United. Two games prior to that, they drew to Everton. Like, there's no pattern of being on the charge, but they win one game. And what really blows my mind, Clive, is this weird media, and maybe I'm involved in the wrong media, or maybe I'm too focused on the media, but there's almost this... Uh, this fairy tale story of city reconnecting with their fans because they got caught cheating. Like it's really, it's really weird. Like you don't get to be galvanized by getting caught cheating. Yeah, so exactly. what, what are your thoughts on this whole here comes city that, you know, they got the bit between their teeth and they're galvanized basically because two things happened. They got caught cheating and they won one game. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a story on the grass here that we should, we spend a lot of time talking about on this podcast and there's a story. There is a story to the game. And there are people that write that story and they write that story based on their contacts, who they who they speak to and what they feel. But they have such a reach. They have such a reach. And I thought it was really instructive watching Arteta sort of try to close these stories down. They're saying, so what's your approach between now and, and Wednesday? What's your schedule? Do you think the pressure's getting to them? They have to ask these questions. They have to. It's a job, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it's a story that this drives, you know? And they're telling you what they're really feeling. Now, these, you know, we, we all got the same worries because we read it, right? So when I say to, if I send out a tweet to people saying, don't worry about this game, it's focused on Wednesday. Well, some people aren't ready for that yet. <laughs> where they are yeah. it's about giving Lee Mason a bit of a kick in because that's what I'm at the moment in time I'm in that hole thank you very much we all develop our own process about how we recover from any singular game but I you know I'm afraid mate we are the story this year we've got to get used to it that's what a title race is well, we that's are the, the story yeah yeah. I mean you, you don't get to be top of the Premier League all season long on this many points, playing this well all season long, out of the blue with no one expecting it, yeah. and and then expect to have the narrative all your way. I will say, I'm like if I was a neutral, which I'm, you know, clearly I am a totally objective neutral. But if I was a neutral, I would think that if I were in the media or a neutral, that the story I'd want to be celebrating is a young team loaded with English talent, loaded with academy talent. And granted, we've spent, don't don't get me wrong, we've spent a hell of a lot. But coming up and against all odds, leading the Premier League under a young manager with good progressive ideas, who speaks the right way, who says the right things, who unites a, a fan base that have been divided, who reignites the passion inside the ground, and then loses their star signing but still stays on top as another academy comes in, player comes in. And like that's the narrative I'd want to get behind. And yet somehow it's still cheating 
financially doped city that feels like they've got this sort of swell of of support behind them. And maybe that's just me being in my silo seeing it. We do like to get tribal and I, I'm probably yeah. falling a little bit victim to and, that. And that happy, that happy story that you've said, it doesn't really... I'm not saying it doesn't really sell. It sells once, mm. once sell continuously. Seems to um, sell tickets at, at Emirates Stadium. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> it does. But it's like um, when you the Premier League is now like the soap opera of, of life, isn't it? You know, and when you see what's happening with the league of ownership and obviously what's happening in Man City and what's happening, we're lucky that we're on the football side of things. We're we're on the on the front page as well of that story. It, it is the game we've all signed up to. I'm afraid. And, and subscriptions and everything else and we spend a lot of money supporting this game and um, and that's and that you don't support something that is full of apathy it's about emotion isn't it and um, and they're driving that emotion and that emotion is what's going to keep me awake on Tuesday night before the Wednesday night game because because um, that emotion just overcomes you right and and that is the narrative and I suppose that's that's the way to do their job yeah. Um, can we do a couple quick hits here? A few quick hits? Yeah, go for it. Ramsdale, any worry? I mean, like, you shouldn't have to be guilty on a goal that should have been ruled out, but it wasn't ruled out, and he does flap a bit. Um, been a bit of flappiness, I wouldn't say a ton, but just a bit of flappiness there. Yeah. Any any concern for you? When you say flappiness, was it going out to Norgard? Do you think he left his line a bit soon? Well, he either didn't, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's one of those. If you're going to go out there, you either got to get, you know, throw your whole body at it, get some hands he on did. something, he, or don't. He, he, he got smashed, yeah. right? And I think he's gone out there because he can see him close to the goal. When you see him close to the goal, and no defending between you, you got to go and close him down. Again, it's, it's a byproduct of him being offside. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, and he's gone out there to smash him, and got smashed. You know, and he's given everything. There was a, when he came out against Manchester United and he flapped against Manchester United and Martinez scored, didn't cost us anything, made a great night. But he said he's taught, in the interview post that, he's taught to be very proactive. And Mikel Arteta has taught, told him that and he'll take the mistakes. Again, this was a proactive mistake. and He's trying to do something. And I think that's what he's told to be, be very front-footed, Come and yeah. get everything you can. Help your defenders out when you can. We're way too focused on our own team to see other teams, and and I understand why. But like Ederson made a huge mistake for a Villa goal. I mean, you know, the Villa, the Villa goal yeah. doesn't matter, but like, yeah. you know, I, I just he's think not we great this these front footed ball playing yeah. goalkeepers do do make errors. All keepers make errors, and this one shouldn't have mattered because it should have been ruled out. Ben White, any concerns? Better, much better mm-hmm. than he has been. Much better, and I wasn't thinking. You know, you need to come off this pitch, you know, much better. Again, that's somebody who's returning. So I mm-hmm. didn't have any concerns. In fact, he looks like a right back now. I can't see him playing. I thought he would like double up as a right centre back cover. I think he's done. I think he's a right back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I really think so. You know or right of a three, you, shall we say. You, know? you mentioned a couple pods ago, it might have been a Patreon pod, that they, physically he looks a little more slight, that he doesn't look yeah. as big. But yeah. what I wonder. Because the the words Arteta had about Shaka were ringing in my ear. Has Arteta been trying to change his physical profile to be more of a right back to take some some bulk off of him so he can get up and down the line a little more when he needs to? Because you know, I, I don't think he needs all of that power yeah. and physique 
at right back. You know, he's a he's a great athlete. You know, he is like perfect, right? Great athlete. But I looked at Tony and I looked at Saliba and I looked at White and I'm thinking we got the right centre back on this guy. That's for sure. You know, so we're, and and that's it. And White's a different player now. He's a different athlete. He's far more about what he does in his mobility, and he gets to that. He gets to Saka better than anybody, and gets around him. He's a great runner, great runner, good on the ball, slows down when he needs to. I saw him come back in this game, Elliot, much better than he has been previously. Yeah, um, I think for me, the. The city game is one to to just go unchanged. I I know there's a lot of urgency yeah. behind the start Trissard over Martinelli thing, and while I don't think Martinelli's in great form, um, I think he suits this game in particular. Yeah, I think there will be space for him to run into. I think that he can he can have more joy in this game. And like, let's not let's not forget the the talent that's in there and walk away from. It. I mean, I, he had one chance in the in the Brentford game, the volley from the center. Yeah, I thought he did really well with it. Actually, got his knee over it, just didn't keep it quite down. He's not getting the chances, and I, you know, I watched a bit of this game again. He's so isolated out on the left for so much of the game, and there are times when he's standing in acres of space. And I, I just wonder on these video sessions, like is Mikel saying, "Look, we need to switch it quicker. We need the big switch. We need to get the ball out to him so that we mm. can pull defenses side to side." Because, you know, it's not look. It's still about results. He's not playing great. And I don't want to come across as just being his his defense attorney and saying hey, he's in space, no one's finding him. But it does feel like the ball needs to switch faster and find him when he's when he's all the way out there in space. Yeah, I think when you do the five at the back, you can cover that space just in your your standing position, your starting position. And so if you do switch it, you're switching into a man who's already got you, Mark. This is where the interior comes into focus a lot more, right? So this is when this is why I found myself looking at Shaka a lot more because. Wingers are going to be touch tight with a, with a wing back or a centre back in between the two of them. But your interior is how you move people. And you've got to be able to commit people out of that line by carrying the ball in there. Odegaard can carry it I'm a, and I'm, and check as a passer. You know, so it's a game state thing. How brave do you want to feel in the interior? And for some game states, okay, so big lumpy teams, we need something else in that interior for me. And so and I think Martinelli is not able to have broken field running because he's getting no one bringing the ball up to him, committing people. He's just getting the ball passed out to him and then he has to come back inside because there's nothing. No one's moved. Everyone's standing there. You have to move people by carrying the ball. We've got a team of carriers apart from one player, I'm afraid. (laughs) And uh, that happens to be the guy that Martinelli needs to connect with him. I don't think we can count on getting lucky with Holland being out for Wednesday. I think the the comments Pep made were sort of like, you know, we took him off out of a abundance of caution. It, it is what it is. I <clears throat> I expect them to be full strength. I expect them to have everyone that they all the they boys need to back. Have. Diaz, Laporte, Gundogan, De Bruyne. And you notice how De Bruyne is passing forward early to Haaland. He's like Gary yeah. Neville's coached them up, isn't he? He's coached them. Tell them what's wrong. And they, they're Do you think now we saw a preview it? of what to expect in our? I mean, because they, they they played with no left back essentially um, against Villa, uh, and I, I guess they had Rodri back there, right? And he drifted in the midfield. And I mean, do yeah. you think that they're gonna? Is is that a preview of how they plan to exploit our, you know, our right hand side 
Uh, what do you think? Any any intel I th- from that? Game? I think they will go. This is the t- I'm going to pick City's team, right? Edison. Mm-hmm. I think they go Walker, um, Diaz, Laporte, Ake. Mm-hmm. I think they'll go Rodri, Gundogan, and uh, De Bruyne. I think they'll go Grealish, Haaland, Marius, maybe. That's what I would do from them. Yeah, Foden hasn't been starting for them. No, um, going for a bad patch. And I have to say, like, you know, Grealish is a fantastic player. I think I'd rather face him than Foden, though, you know? And we may, yeah. we may wind up seeing Foden at some point in the game anyway. Yeah. Um, look, it's it's a fantastic team. It's a really fantastic team. The, the, the one that scares me is Mares, as weird as it sounds, because we don't get pushed back by anyone. But we'll get pushed back at times by City. And the only thing that scares me a little bit is, Zinchenko's been so good at being a front-footed defender, being positionally sound, you know, really helping us press and keep the ball. He's not a low-block defender. He's not a 1v1 defender. Mares can absolutely eat him alive. And if we do get pushed back, he's going to need Martinelli standing right by him to double up on Mares because Zinchenko cannot stay with Mares. Like, there's there's no way he can do that. So that's the one uh, I'd be... Well, we'll see. I, 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 I think Zinchenko's impressed me, particularly in the air. He gets up in the air so well. When he tries to switch to play, he gets up, wins those balls. And he's sharp. on the, He's a front-footed tackler. He's sharp. He's like He tackles like a midfielder. He, he nicks it. He steps in, takes it, and transitions away with the ball. I think it's important that he just make sure he delays. Myers is not going to skin you with speed. He's going to try to trick you to deliver a yeah. pass to the six foot five guy in the middle who's not bad at dealing with crosses. Right. So it's about you getting to him, getting his head down, and stopping him seeing that clipboard into the middle. I think Tinchenko knows him. I'm, we'll see what happens. I'm, I think it's a good game for Tinchenko. I think he's going to want to play very, very well. Um, mm. I'm not. I'm not too worried by that one, to be honest, mate. Yeah, he just needs to keep his motions in check. I think he he's started to play a little bit of hero ball against Brentford, and like he's getting a lot of attention now. You know, we had that interview talking about how he's a leader in the group, and there's he wants to win. He does. There's a lot of focus on Zinchenko, and I think I, I know he's a leader for his national team, and I you know I think he is a leader in this group. But keeping your emotions in check and playing within yourself, and not feeling like you have to solve every problem, because I thought we took 23 shots against Brentford. Yeah, there were a lot of bad shots taken, a lot of poor shot selection, a lot of, uh, you know, just maybe that maybe that's a little of that nervousness sinking. And we we got to win this. We got to I got to do something. And well, that's, that's some fair. of the early crosses and some of the early shots I thought were were ill advised. You know, yeah. On that point, maybe I should have the data, so I shouldn't mention something I've not got it exactly right. But I saw on Abino stat where I think we had ten or eleven shots outside the area, and uh, which is a which is the most we've had. And again, is that a byproduct of these deep blocks? You know, and that's how I saw against Manchester United, Saka taking shots. He took shots in this game. I think we are looking at this and saying, right, we've got to take shots, pull them out, get him to press us, take shots. We've got to do, we might get deflections. I, I, I'm not against that. I'm generally not against it. As long as you get, I'm not against it if mm. they're good shot, right? You're set, yeah. you have a space. You, t- you know, some of the stuff that was just like ballooned into Rose Ed from... 30 yards yeah. out with, you know, the, yeah, them compact. Good. I don't know. <laughs> that's not good. But there were some shots that were blocked, etc. And yeah, I watched Frank Lampard for years take shots I thought were rubbish and deflect into the bottom corner. I think, oh my goodness, how have you done that? Odegaard had a scuff shot against West Ham. Saka picks it up and slots it. You know, I think it's important that we make people want to defend us and not pass around them. 
Do you know what I mean? And um, so I'm not against it. Obviously, I want better quality, you know, um, like like we all do, like we all do. And like, it, like I said, you can overreact. Everton, we know what went wrong there. Brentford, they beat City away. They, be, I don't. Has anybody taken three points off them in the top six? I don't think any of the top six have taken. I think they're ten the games unbeaten or something like that at the moment. So this was always tough. We walked into Everton at a bad time, right? We have Brentford in the top of their form. And then we have City. And this happens. Right? Even Leicester find their form now, as Spurs found out, right? So Spurs always cheer me up. So we have a bit of a tough day and they come out and they've, they've just been slapped. So form comes and goes. You need a little break sometimes to catch people when they're down. And we've had, we've caught Everton and Brentford when they're hot. And um, we've got one point from two games. No reason to be scared of the City game. I think we should be excited about the City game. If you gave us a chance to be playing City at the Etihad with a three-point lead and a game in hand, you know, in February, past the halfway mark, like, you'd, you'd bite your hand off for that opportunity. And, like, yeah. for, for Liverpool to get past City and win win a title, they had to take points in these games, right? The Liverpool-City battle, we watched that go on. Those games were really high level. You never knew who was going to come out on top. Sometimes it was Liverpool. Sometimes it was City. This is going to be a really high-level, difficult game, and City can absolutely win it. We can, too. And, like, yep. you want it? Look, we know City are financially doped, and they cheated, and they shouldn't be here, but they're here. This is the challenge in front of us. We know how hard it is. I think we're equal to it. That doesn't mean we'll win it, but we're equal to it. We shouldn't be afraid of it. We should be excited for it. You know, we saw the game at the Emirates last season. We were their equal in that game with a weaker team, right? Not as good, but we played them. I think we outplayed them until the referees got involved and it is what it is. So maybe, just maybe, this time around, with our two apologies in hand, we get a call that helps us, goes our way. It's going to be fine margins. I just think... um, I think the good thing about this game showing up when it does is that it it won't be it won't be the same challenge that Neverton and Brentford presented us, and I think it gives us a kind of challenge that we're maybe better suited to to handling than those teams. the 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 downside, the only downside to this is you could play great and lose to City. They're a great team. You start to get into the point where it's no wins in three, two losses in three, and you're staring at Villa Park at the weekend. Like then you know that's how. You know, as Arsene Wenger said, you go up by the stairs, you go down by the elevator. So you you have to not lose this game and be in a position to win it. I'm, I'm not scared of it, Clive, but it no, it's easy to say that on Monday. We'll see if I'm saying that. <laughs> well, pre Christmas, um, around the Christmas break after the World Cup, we had a five point lead against City, right? So I think all the same games. And since then, we've played Brighton, Newcastle, Manchester United, Tottenham. You know. Big games, big games. We're sitting there today. What have we got? We got three, three points point in. lead with the game in hand. Yeah. Three point lead, the game in hand. We win the game on Wednesday. We have a six point lead, and we lost our centre forward in that period. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a lot here for us. A lot here. It's a two game week. Saturday morning, staying us in the face as well. By the way, you know, I, I did feel from these three games, we get seven points from nine. I'd have been brilliant. I've been really happy. We've got one so far. So you need to win the next two. But it's important not to lose on Wednesday night. It's the most important thing because Manchester United are creeping around the corner, by the way. And, yeah. and that's a worry because you know, they, they don't, even though they're not very good, they don't care, right? The Manchester United. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. We'll, we'll, get our, we'll get our boys back together. The form will come back. We're not, I think we turned a little corner in the Brentford game. You might not see it yet, 
But I saw some movements there in that game, which I think are very instructive to how we're going to solve this problem going forward. Hard to get over the fact that whatever you think of the way we played, we should have gotten three points from it. We were denied those three points by an administrative error, and we should be going into the City game with a six-point lead and a game in hand. And oh, by the way, for the people that wanted Mudrick and were furious that we didn't go the extra mile for Mudrick, he doesn't look close to ready. And if VAR had done its job, the guy we did get, Trissard, would be responsible for six extra points since he's arrived. Right? So it's amazing how quickly things can look differently. Well, we'll have a preview for patrons tomorrow of the City game. So Tim will be on for that. Uh, Paul traveling this week. So we won't have Paul... Um, he says he's traveling. My guess is he's just locking himself in a bunker out of this city <laughs> game. Uh, but but we we will have um, preview tomorrow for patrons, instant reaction Wednesday for patrons, then Thursday we'll have our main pod back. So something for everybody. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Easy for me to say. My name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Huge week. I believe in us. I think we can do it. Let's uh, let's just really get behind the boys and, and hope for the best on Wednesday and see where it goes. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. City no. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.